The Start Your Own Business Podcast. Hear inspiring startup stories and get reliable expert advice on how to start your business and get off to the best possible start. Brought to you by Startup Donut, helping small businesses succeed. Hi there. My name's Fiona Pryor and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we'll be taking out our crystal ball and taking a peep into the near future, looking forward to the next five to ten years to try and predict how things will change for small businesses. We'll be asking, what's the future of the UK high street? How will customer expectations change? And what will the future mean for small businesses with the rise of AI? My very special guest today is applied futurist, speaker, writer and consultant Tom Cheesewright. Tom helps brands, organisations and industries to see what's coming next and helping them to build a future strategy for sustainable success, whatever the future holds. You may have come across Tom on the TV already because he's appeared on the BBC, Channel 4, Channel 5 and Sky News. But before we speak to Tom, let's find out more about our sponsor. Are you struggling to measure the impact of your marketing efforts? Do you want to know which channels bring you the most leads and sales? For businesses where budgets are smaller and carry more significance, it's essential to make every penny count. That's where MediaHawk can help. MediaHawk's call tracking and marketing analytics solution lets you see exactly where your leads are coming from, whether they're from your website, social media, email, paperclip, print, radio and more, Optimise your marketing strategy based on real data, not guesswork, and invest more in the channels that generate you leads and revenue. Join more than 4,000 marketers who are making smarter marketing decisions with MediaHawk. Visit mediahawk.co.uk slash startupdonut for more information. It's time to meet our startup expert, Tom Cheesewright. Hi there, Tom. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Obviously, the past few years have been really difficult for businesses. We've had the pandemic, we've had the whole cost of living and the kind of economic crisis. And yet, despite that, we still have, you know, consistent numbers of people starting their own business. Do you think once we're through all of this and with the changes that are going on around us with AI, that we're likely to see increasing numbers of people starting their own business? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at the percentage of people who are self-employed or in microbusinesses or starting their own businesses, there's always ups and downs in relation to the current economic climate. But generally, that number has been climbing. It's easier now to start a small business than it has been in the past. I'm not saying it's easy, but if I think back to when I started my first business about 15 years ago, um, oh, crikey, more than that now, sadly, um, it was there was a lot more barriers in the way you had to do yeah. an awful lot more manual admin you needed a lot more support in terms of just getting the paperwork done it took weeks to get a bank account all of this stuff whereas now with the software tools available with so much of the administration on the web actually getting off the grounds easier than it was and, and actually a lot of people are experimenting in their spare time while they do still have a job before they actually make a leap so definitely you know, a higher percentage of us will be working for ourselves. A higher percentage of us will be starting our own smaller businesses. Yeah. Um, and do you think that it's going to be easier for businesses to succeed in the environment that we're, we're sort of heading into? No. I mean, that's the, the corollary, if you like, to there being more businesses. There is more competition. 
And it's a very, very noisy environment that we all operate in now. Um, getting your voice heard, getting your message out to potential customers, convincing them to trust you as a new brand. You know, it's always been tricky. I think it's potentially more tricky now because of the noise. But also you've got more tools at your disposal. And I think that's what's really interesting now is, if you like, the the field is more competitive, but the opportunities to differentiate are greater. Yeah. And so the the organisations, the startups, the individuals really, who take advantage of the tools at their disposal and the tools that are coming in in the next few years, they're the ones who are going to be able to cut through the noise and actually reach those customers and succeed. Yeah, if you're able to tell your unique story, I suppose, and, and break out from the rest of the crowd. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, do you think then in that case that some of the kind of traditional businesses that are, that are still, you know, really popular, those kind of tradesmen that are working on their own or nursing homes or businesses that we that have been around forever, that they're going to be find it more difficult to compete? I, I think, I mean, there is going to be some more competition. So if you look at industries that perhaps haven't been tackled before by you know, new entrants, technology companies, big startups, you know, backed by venture capital. Mm. You can see that they're focused on the opportunities. You know, construction's a really interesting one. You, know, you talk about tradespeople. There's not been a really coherent effort to try to modernise that whole industry in many ways. You know, lots of individual construction firms have done interesting things with modular construction, but actually that doesn't really address the changing way that we work and actually the, the, the ultimately freelance nature of the construction industry, yeah. which you know, does rely on a lot of you know, individual contractors coming together to complete a project. I can absolutely see in the next few years somebody raising millions of pounds of venture capital to try and revolutionise that industry, in part because it's one of those areas where we all face frustration you know, and I have this phrase I use a lot, which is that you know, friction starts fires. If somebody of an entrepreneurial mindset comes across a point of friction in their lives at home or at work, they tend to want to try to solve that problem. Yeah. And you know, all of us at some point in our lives bump up against the friction inherent in, in the current construction industry. So you can see that somebody with a big, you know, deep pockets might come in and try to address that friction. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So. We're, talk, we're talking about sort of smaller businesses mostly, but for a lot of those small businesses, they'll be either selling to or as part of their sort of personal life, you know, using the high street. And the high street's had massive tra- challenges over the last few years. The government have done numerous reviews and whatnot to try and look at what can be done to rejuvenate the high street. But it just seems to be kind of on a, a downward spiral, I suppose. What do you think? Do you think there's anything going to change that picture or that things are going to improve anytime soon? I, yeah, I think we have to look at the scale of the challenge first. I think the last figures I looked at, we'd lost about a third of the workforce in retail and we're probably going to lose another third before things bottom out. The high street was designed for a particular set of behaviours, a particular mode of shopping, and it doesn't survive in its historical format because the way we shop has changed. Yeah. You can't you can't keep the old infrastructure, the old, you know, the old way of doing things when everybody's doing things a different way, however much we might want to. So whatever survives of the high street, it's not going to look like it used to. Mm. Um, but I also don't think it's going to look like it does today. And you know, a lot of high streets today are pretty sorry looking. 
Um, there's a very limited array of retail opportunities or retail options. Lots of places still boarded up, lots of places empty. And, you know, and it's a particular type of, 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 of shop front that you're seeing now. It's charity shops, it's betting shops, you know, particularly in the, some of the less well high, well-off high streets not yeah. far from where I live. But there is an opportunity there. And I think the opportunity, weirdly, is directly connected to what's happened with online retail. Again, I have this, this sort of rule of thumb that the more things become digital, the more we crave the physical. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Let me give you a good example of that. Um, in a previous life, or in a previous, previous life, in fact, um, I was involved in running the press conference that launched legal music downloading. Right. For the first time, we went from stealing music through Napster and LimeWire and all those services <laughs> to actually being able to legally buy MP3s, an acronym that, or a name that people barely even know these days. Um, the first time we could do that, I actually was involved in running the press conference where the first the big major labels got together and did a deal with a technology company. And what was really interesting was we did a lot of looking to the future around that project. And we talked about this thing we called the celestial jukebox at the time. Right. This idea that you'd be able to stream millions of tunes to your mobile at some point in the distant future. What we now know as, you know, as Spotify or as Apple Music or whatever else. Yep. What we didn't foresee was that when music went digital, everyone would start to crave the physical interaction all the more. And so as streaming took off, so did live music. Yeah, um, so But true. also so did cassette tapes and vinyl. Yeah, People I hold my hand the... up to that one. Right? <laughs> You're part of the trend exactly. or the counter trend. Yeah, We want something we can touch and feel. And this is the real opportunity, I think, for the high street and for small business particularly. Because the next few years, we're going to spend even more of our lives online, even more of our lives in a digital landscape. And I think as a result, we're going to crave all the more the physical, the real, the tactile, the human interaction, whether that is a tailor to make our suits or dresses, whether that is you know a florist to give us you know curated bunches of flowers, whether that is a someone to provide us sort of artisanal furniture. I mean, there's all sorts of opportunities here. Which all sound very sort of bespoke and high end and like you'd only find them in a, you know, in a posh high street in the home counties. But actually, I don't think that's true at all. I think there is a much broader opportunity there where everyone will be craving things that are personalised, individual, human made and actually give you that sense of human service. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I was reading a piece in the paper last week and it was about one of the major supermarket chains that had taken away all of their you know cashiers you know you they expect you to pick up a, a little device take it around the shop scan all of your items pay using another app and leave without you know speaking or having contact with another person it's like actually our customers don't want that our customers want to be able to chat to joe on the till or be able to speak to someone and say oh i'm looking for tomato ketchup or whatever it might be and have those interactions so yeah. yeah. And it might it might be their only only human interaction of the day, yeah. bear in mind. I mean that's one of the things. There's an there was another story that really speaks to this trend in the papers this weekend that actually, yeah, craft fairs are blowing up in the UK. Yeah. Lots of small businesses selling at craft fairs, and people are going because precisely because I think they want the counterpoint to the mass produced, the universal, the identikit furniture, art, whatever it may be in other people's houses. They want something that is individual to them. 
Yeah, that kind of leads on to one of the things I wanted to talk about next, really, is kind of changing customer tastes and habits. You know, there's a big drive now that people are looking for locally produced goods. They want they want to cut down on their air miles. They want to be buying from local producers and know the, you know, the, the, the line traceability of the food, those kinds of things. So how do you see that affecting sort of small businesses over the next five to 10 years? So there's one big demographic shift that I spend a lot of my time talking to my, my larger clients about. You know, m- most of my clients are big, big global firms. Yeah, they're huge names that you've all heard of. Um, but one of the trends I'm trying to explain to them at the moment is the counterpoint to the ageing population. We've mm. all heard about the ageing population and the silver pound and all of these things where you know, a large number of people are now up in their over 60s. In you know, parts of the country, one in three people will be of retirement age, even one in two yeah. by the middle of the century. But that leaves behind a really interesting group of people in their 20s and 30s who are effectively growing up slower than we've ever seen before. And what I mean by that is not that they're childish or that they're immature. It's just that the, what used to be the traditional markers of adult life, i.e., buying a home, buying a car, settling down, finding a partner, getting married, having kids. All of that stuff is shunting back towards that sort of mid-30s and even actually 40. Yeah. So you've got this huge group of people between sort of 21 and 35 who are quite often living at home with their parents or in a shared a shared house. One in four and a half 21 to 35-year-olds now live with their parents in the UK. Um, and a, a significant number more live in shared accommodation rather than their own place or in one of these sort of new build to rent places where they pay one monthly sum and don't have to worry about any of their other bills. Their lifestyles are taken care of. And so they're not spending their money on a lot of the things that we might have been trying to sell them in the past. They're much more interested in experiences yeah. because actually you know, a mortgage in a house looks 10, 15 years away. Yeah. So they're thinking about actually how do I maximise the quality of my life now? They're not you know, occupied by the cheapest car insurance because quite possibly, particularly if they live in a city, they don't have one. They're looking for other things to do with this money. And a lot of it is not around objects. They don't want to own stuff because they might be moving house again in six months' time to a different apartment, or if they're still sharing with their parents. What they want is experiences, and I think there is an enormous opportunity there to tap into that, to understand these people's lifestyles Mm. and create for them experiences that match their spending expectations, match their aspirations, and and fulfil those, you know, the, the sort of the objectives the changed objectives we have at that point in life now yes well it's an interesting one I certainly don't hope my kids are still at home with me <laughs> <laughs> likewise yeah <laughs> much when, as I love them the rebounders go off to university and then start a job and and come back home and yeah <laughs> yeah well my, my daughters have both expressed an interest in traveling for a while quite significant while in a, in a camper van so Worst comes to the worst. I'm just going to have to buy a camper van at some point. Yeah, it could, it could be a good investment. <laughs> Pack them off in it. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, one of the areas that we end up talking about quite a lot in the podcast, really, is um, in relation to marketing and how uh, you know social media has changed the landscape for lots of small businesses. Of course, there's still traditional marketing out there that lots of businesses will rely on things like word of mouth and you know leafleting and all of those kinds of things. But actually, social media has changed the sort of the rules for a lot of businesses. And I wondered how you sort of see that sort of moving forward. So 
about you know rewind sort of 2006 ish uh, and i was actually training people in social media marketing um feels like a very long time ago now and i, I sort of made a prediction at the time was that ultimately social media becomes a bit like email mm. you know why do we have all of these different social networks when they all fundamentally only do three things they allow us to store a network of people they allow us to send messages one to one or one to many, and they allow us to share rich media. And so, you know, if you've got all of these social networks that all do fundamentally the same things, why do we not just have a social media client that sends those things across the relevant network to the relevant people? And you know, when I was saying this sort of five years ago, at the height of the powers of Twitter and you know Facebook and all of these places. Um, you know, I have to be slightly careful because there's some clients in, in amongst the big social media networks. But when I was saying this, people were sort of poo-pooed the idea. You know, now we're looking at this, the implosion of of Twitter slash X in many ways. Yeah. Um, we're looking at a very much less powerful Facebook and a much more fluid social network environment where people are bouncing around between LinkedIn, Blue Sky, Minds, you know, all of these different places. Mm. It feels like actually we might settle back into that vision. And you know, even Meta, even the other company behind Facebook, has built out its threads platform on an open platform. You know, it's designed for this future where you might have a client for all the social networks and that is the way that you communicate. So I think you know, understanding that is important for small businesses, not getting sucked into one network and being reliant on that for your marketing, mm. you know, having very much a portfolio approach um, and actually being aware of what's going to happen when we make the next big technological shift as well. And when it's going to be, who's going to be the big winners all up for debate. But most of the futurists and technologists I talk to expect that at some point we're going to make the leap from handset to headset. Mm. So our primary digital interactions will not be through a screen we hold in our hands They'll be through a screen that sits over our eyes. And it's not virtual reality. We're not going to be sort of ready player one style in a rubber suit in our back bedrooms, you know, interacting <laughs> with virtual avatars. It will be digital stuff overlaid on the real world. Mm. So it will be, you know, virtual shop assistants. It will be virtual tour guides in the high street. It will be virtual signage, virtual advertising, Hopefully not virtual chairs that you sit down on and fall on your bum because they certainly won't be, you know, hard light or any of those sci-fi ideas anytime soon. <laughs> but, you know, that is coming at some point. And again, marketing in that environment is going to change fundamentally. Social media in that environment becomes much more like a sixth sense for what's going on in your networks, whether those are business or personal. And the way we interface with that information will be much more about colour and sound and shape you know, touch and vibration, you know, much more subtle things than actually lots and lots of text on a screen. And mm. in, in many ways, that plays into plays to the advantage of small creative companies who are doing a lot of work in the physical world. Yeah. And it goes back to that, that point you were making about people actually wanting those connections in person, you know, pick up the product, see it, talk to the person who's made it, have that richer sort of 360 degree experience of something rather than just through one one sense and it creates the opportunity for really interesting what i call glasses off moments mm. you know like you know we have we have a no screens at the table rule for dinner right you know no yeah, phones yeah. at the table like 
if you are taking your glasses off and extracting yourself from that world that's overlaid with digital information, that shows that you are focusing, you are concentrating, you are dealing human to human. And I think a lot of small businesses could actually be those glasses off spaces where you want to go and interact human to human with someone who's going to really look after you and give you that personal service. Talking um, next about online sales, you know, we've, we've touched on it slightly already about how that's hugely exploded. You know, we've just we've just had Black Friday and Cyber Monday and we've been inundated with offers to, to sell and a lot of us don't go to the high street, which we've talked about already. Presumably, you know, having a capability to sell to your customers online is a good idea for, for most businesses to, you know, have that online connection and route to market. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's not going away. And actually, it's going to get easier for small businesses. You know, what are the real pain points when you are selling online as a small business? It is the overhead of the logistics, particularly the reverse logistics. The last thing you want to deal with is returns, refunds, chargebacks, all of those things. A lot of that stuff's going to get easier. We're seeing slowly the introduction of more and more automation and robotics into the supply chain, um, into the logistics supply chain. And so, you know, the cost actually of getting something to a customer and getting it back is going to go down and down. It's also going to get cleaner and greener. There'll be an awful lot fewer diesel trucks running around our streets delivering stuff. Um, and so I think that's that's actually a really big bonus for small businesses who can get their head around it, who can leverage the incoming platform that where you just, you know, almost, it's almost drop shipping for your own products. You yeah. might get automated wrapping automated dispatch, um, automated delivery, you know, integrated with your sales platform, you know, automated returns where a robot picks it up from the customer's house, drives it to the depot, drops it in a drone and flies it to your door. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of ways you can do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, absolutely. You've got to have a good low friction online platform. That demand is not going to go away. Customers are very lazy um, and in a high competition environment, they really, really want the minimum number of clicks and the minimum amount of fuss to get what they want. But actually, it's about, you know, how do you take fuss out of the rest of the supply chain and delivery? And I think that's that's going to be a, a big imperative for the next few years. Mm, yeah. That said, there still will be people for whom or businesses for whom that's not really on their sort of horizon for them, you know. People like going back to the construction industry, people like builders, you know, if you're a painter or a decorator, actually, you know, there's that for the time being, I can't imagine there's going to be much in terms of changing in terms of how they reach their audience. It's, it's usually word of mouth, isn't it? You know, you might go online and look for recommendations for a small building firm or other people saying about them. But for some of those businesses, do you think there will be changes on the horizon? Yes and no. So look, right now, demand massively outstrips supply. Mm. Every tradesman I know is flat out yeah. and has work booked up for... 12 you know, months, tra- yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we've, we've, we're friendly with a plasterer. We've got some work getting done. Um, we spoke to him, uh, what, four, three weeks ago, four weeks ago now. He's coming in January, right? And it's a small job he can fit in between the other big jobs he's already booked in for. He doesn't need a website. Right? Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. last thing he needs because he just you know it'll be a waste of money. Yeah, that's not always going to be the case, mm. right? You know, there's at some point the time will come where there is more supply than demand, and that yeah. world gets competitive again. When that happens, you need to be prepared. Yeah, um, and some people will just retire out of the industry. 
you know, the construction industry has a very, very high percentage of people over 55. Um, you know, a lot of them have done reasonably well. And, you know, when the time comes, when the market gets a bit more difficult and they have to start to invest more in winning new business, they might just step out of it. They might just say, goodbye, I'm gone. I'm going to take early retirement. But that's not going to be everyone. And so I think, you know, however successful you are in that industry or any other where you get all your work by word of mouth, always assume that that's not going to be the long term situation and keep a watching brief on what you might need to do to rapidly get yourself up to speed with winning business online. Yeah. Um, there's loads of talk about AI at the moment. We've just had the summit where the government's had like the big bosses from all of the big tech companies talking about what that means, what the regulations are likely to look like. Um, do you think that AI is going to have a you know revolutionary impact on small businesses? Yes. I mean, and in many different ways, you've got to look at it in terms of both the difficulties it presents, but also the opportunities it presents. So, you know, AI is terribly named. If, if I had a time machine, um, there are many things I'd probably do. But one of them would be go back and see if we could change the name of it in the public consciousness to something like cognitive computing, because it isn't intelligent. Right? <laughs> in the way that we understand there is no soul, there's no originality, there's no creativity, there's no mind there, right? Mm. All it is doing is pattern recognition and pattern replication. Throw it a load of data and say, you know, here are a million invoices. Now, can you write me an invoice for these three bullet points? Brilliant. Yeah. It knows how to do it. Or a press release, or frankly, a novel. You know, yeah. It can do all of those things. But it's not. But it, what it's doing is drawing on a million things it's read before. It's not doing something original created from its mind. That is obviously really beneficial to a small business where we are all we all spend far too much time on the overheads of admin and all that nonsense. Yeah. So much of that can be stripped away, automated, and we can do the things that we a love and b get paid for. Brilliant. Unfortunately, some of the things we do that we love will be done by an AI. Um, you know. A lot of low-level copywriting is already being handed to machines. A lot of you know journalism is already being done by um, it not even. I mean, something that doesn't even justify a, the definition of cognitive computing. Really, just you know, sort of algorithms that you know suck in sports results and spit out news articles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, there's absolutely an AI level of competition as well as there is an AI level of assistance. And you know what shakes out from this? One person can do more with less. So you could be a super profitable, super efficient small business, or you could find that the thing you used to sell is being done more by somebody else who is a super profitable, super efficient AI-enabled yeah. small business. Yeah. Um, it shifts the playing field for everybody, but that means that you know it doesn't mean that you can't compete. It just means that the competition is different. Yeah. And actually, I think the reality is, is that most of us in small businesses are using AI in some way, shape or form of this stats. The recent surveys say something like 90 percent of people are using AI in some way, shape or form. And that actually it's built into most of the apps that we, you know, come to rely on that we have on our phone. It's, we're using it not necessarily, but with, re, you know, realising that that's what we're doing. Yeah. And in many ways, that's the best way to use it. 
you'll see lots of people exhorting you to go out and you know why you know you're going to fail unless you're already using chat gpt for half your business and all these things. yeah yeah like it, that stuff's useful but unless you are you know kind of a little bit of a wizard at least turning it into a useful application isn't that easy like yes you can if you want it to just go and write you 20 pages of fairly decent web copy then by all means right it's great for that mm. But if you're trying to integrate it into your day-to-day business practice, what most of my clients are finding, and we're talking you know, multi-billion dollar global companies here, are finding that actually that's quite hard. You can very easily create a demo that looks really whizzy on Instagram. Creating actually a, a useful day-to-day application that you can trust with your customer relationships or with your banking, whatever else it may be, is much, much harder. And so hence why the software companies are going, okay, we'll do the heavy lifting. We'll integrate this into our platform so that you can use it. Yeah. So, you know, rather than, yeah, you know, yes, experiment so you understand what's happening. But I wouldn't say necessarily invest loads of money integrating it into what you do today. Wait for your core software platforms to, to integrate it. And if they don't, maybe jump platform. And then be the early adopter of that, where the kinks have been worked out there's instant efficiencies and not huge capital expenditure on your part. It's coming very quickly. The big software companies, if they don't have it in-house, they're buying it in. They're buying other companies. Yeah. And so whether it's your accounting platform, whether it's your design packages, you know, whether it is the, you know, the way you take notes on, you know, and do administrate meetings, all of those things are getting AI powered elements. Yeah. Use those in the software that you use already rather than trying to roll your own right now. Yeah, no, totally. Like you say, let someone else do the donkey work. Absolutely. <laughs> um, another thing that I wanted to touch on was um, data. You know, people are concerned about the amount of data that's being harvested, whether it's, you know, through the, the companies that deliver your groceries or the, you know, social media apps that we're using. Um how do you see the use of data changing? Because obviously there's all the changes that have gone on around cookies and all of those kinds of changes that businesses have had to adapt to. How do you see um, things changing for small businesses over the next few years in terms of data for marketing purposes? So actually lots of big companies are rowing back from gathering lots of data. You know, there was the, the sort of the, I guess the web 2.0 rush for data and, you know, data is the new oil and all these silly phrases. And people started accumulating enormous amounts of customer information and prospect information. And what they found was it was difficult to store securely. It was expensive to extract value from. And actually, they got 90% of the value they needed from actually some relatively simple data points. Yeah. And you know, e-commerce is a great example. If somebody wants to buy a new pair of tan boots, they're probably going to go to a search engine and type in tan boots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't need to know what newspaper they read, their, you know, <laughs> their bra size, their, you know, how many children they have, because they're telling you they want some brown boots. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, the, the nature of the sort of the war for the data, the battle for data has fundamentally changed. And actually, again, this was something we, we saw coming a long time ago. The power is shifting back into the hands of the consumer. Yeah. Where we hold our own data because it's useful to us. Mm. We want to know what we've spent and where and why. We want to know where we were on a certain day and what we were doing. 
we like having our photos tagged by where they are so they automatically sort into holiday albums, right? Our personal data is really useful to us. It's not actually that useful to a, to a lot of companies, not mm-hmm. as useful as they thought it was. And so instead what we do is we release that information on a sort of permissions on demand basis yeah. when it's useful to the companies. So if I'm in a small business now, and I am, I run, a, I run a couple of small businesses now, what am I trying to do? I'm only trying to store the data that I know is absolutely valuable to me. I'm only interested in the stuff that has a direct and real impact on my revenue for the next, you know, 12 months. Yeah. Um, and I'm being really ruthless about it. I'm not trying to aggregate loads of information uh, you know, I'm not trying to sort of, you know, capture loads of data about every visitor to the website. Some absolutely, but not loads. You just have to be really concentrated on does this data answer a business question? Yeah. If it does, store it and yeah. get permission to store it. If it doesn't, forget about it. Yeah. Because chances are it's out of date by next week anyway. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Well, I, you know, I think back a few years to, you know, when customer relationship management software was all the big thing and, you know, claw in every piece of information you can about when they bought and what they bought and what their preferences are and what the dog's called and all of those kinds of things. And you put it in a into your software package and then actually you're so busy doing the rest of the things that you need to do to run your business. You're sending out your invoices and you're, you know, you're moving offices because the rent's gone through the roof or you've had to, da- you know, whatever it might be. And then you come back to you think, well, we've had all, this, all of this information for two years and what have we done with it? <laughs> yeah, and, and the only caveat to all this is CRM is one of those places. Customer relationship management is one of those places where AI is going to play an enormous role. Mm. And you know, if you've got good CRM data that tells you where a customer came from, how much they spent, how frequently, all of those things, AI will be able to do that analysis for you. Yeah. And it will say, you know, did you know that your best customers actually came through cold calling rather than through social media? Yeah. And you know, and it might even say, we predict that if you invested 50% more in cold calling, you might see a 75% increase in revenue next year. Yeah. You know? Um, so you keep a watching brief on that. You know, what data does it actually need in order to do that? Yeah. But, you know, don't just go hoovering it up for data's sake. I think we're, we're long past that stage. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk about, partly because I've got an interest in it because I've got a teenage son who's about to graduate, is um, the sort of world of, of, you know, recruitment and the changes that are going on around us in terms of employing staff and, you know, the increase in, in the numbers of people who have got side hustles and things like that. How do you think the kind of world is going to change of, of um, employment? So I think employment's going to be much more fluid. I mean, it already is in some ways. You know, the companies have got smaller. If you look at someone like General Motors, you know, the number of people who work for General Motors has declined by, you know, two thirds in the last 30 years. Mm. And they still make the same amount of money in the same number of cars, but they do it with a third as many people. Yeah. And that's partly an automation story. That partly means that with robots, they can do more with fewer people. But actually, it's about the nature of modern business, because a lot of the functions that used to be inside the company are now outside the company in third party suppliers, Mm. right down to freelancers coming in and fleshing out their marketing team when it comes time to do a new car launch. Yeah. Agencies, you know, or parts suppliers. And so you know, we, we generally have a much more fluid economy as a result where you can add and drop resource much more quickly. That does make things potentially more precarious. 
I mean, we've seen this with zero hours contracts. We've seen this with you know some of the low end of freelance work, if you like, from a revenue and security point of view. Yeah, the so-called sort of precariat. Um, and but at the, at the other end, it gives you a lot more freedom, a lot more flexibility, the opportunity to pursue jobs that you really like. Yeah, to maybe work three, four days a week. You know, where do we get to? There will still be jobs, right? There will still be companies that want to employ 50,000 people because that's the most efficient way to do what they do and that's their strategy. But I think more and more, you know, we'll probably see maybe a third of the population working at least in some ways, if not half, you know, in 20, 30 years, working in some sort of freelance or flexible fashion. Mm. Where maybe we have a job in inverted commas with a contract with one company, but maybe that job only occupies two or three days a week because yeah. that's what they really need us for. And they might want more of our time on a sort of burst capacity, but we might have a side hustle, which is, you know, based on our passion or based on something local, or maybe it's, you know, caring or having kids or playing golf or whatever it may be that, that yeah. is your hobby. Um, and there are lots of interesting ways to sort of blend hobbies and revenue. So, you know, my, my, it's not a side hustle because it costs me money rather than makes me money. Sort of, <laughs> is, you know, I, 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 I like cars. Um, and, you know, in lockdown, me and my daughter built our own electric car and I have a YouTube channel about it. And it's slowly getting to the point where both, I mean, actually indirectly, it already makes me money because it gives me more credibility with my clients in the automotive industry. Yeah. Directly, it's getting to the point where the YouTube channel is going to start to earn some money. And so, you know, do I get to the point where three days a week I'm I'm doing all futurism and two days a week I'm playing with cars for a living? Well, do you know what? It sounds brilliant to That me. sounds like the dream. Yeah, it's the dream. <laughs> we Well, maybe in five, ten years we'll all be living the dream. <laughs> and look, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenging environment. We are, in a, we are still in a cost of living crisis. Energy costs are still high. You know, um, the, re- the relationship between wages and property prices is still completely out of whack by historical standards um it's not an easy environment whether you're a small business or whether you're an employee at the moment and it's going to take some time to fix that we're not going to sort of walk into a utopia tomorrow although the forecasts are for the economy to start to turn around end of next year fingers crossed but long term you know we either have to accept that you know we, we have to look at where the balance of responsibility for us as individuals lies yes we have responsibility for ourselves but in the past, we've always shared it between the employer and the state. Yeah. Uh, and as employers get smaller and, you know, right down to many, many freelancers, we have to probably rethink where that balance lies. Does the state have to take more responsibility and create more of a safety net for people? Um, or do we have to create, you know, do we have to expand national insurance? Or do we have to have some sort of private or cooperative equivalent, going back to the sort of Saturday funds where the, where the, you know, the welfare state originally started? There are lots of different options, and, and particularly as small business people, we're going to be right at the forefront of that. Mm. One other thing I wanted to talk about um, is money, cash. Um, you know, we, we've been talking about sort of changes in the way that we, we sort of pay for things for a long time. You know, there was a big stink a few years ago about getting rid of cheques because older people still relied on posting a cheque to pay their gas or electric bills or whatever it might be. And these days, it seems that, you know, you can do just about anything and not need to have money in your pocket. So do you think that's that's going to sort of continue? Can you see a, a row back on any of on any of those changes? No, <laughs> in short, I mean, 
you know, th- there are there are there are a m- bunch of different predictions um, where reality keeps outpacing the forecasts. Um, you know, one of them is the rate of shift to electric cars. One of them is the performance of solar panels, um, and one of them is how fast we're getting rid of cash. Mm. And you know, my strong suspicion is that cash bottoms out at about five percent of transactions. Um, it's still the second biggest in terms of you know total transactions now. It's about six and a half billion transactions a year in cash, something like that. But I think that's only thirteen percent of all transactions, and the rest are all digital in some form or other. Yeah, cash isn't going to go away altogether, but it's absolutely going to continue to decline until it gets down to about five percent. And already, loads of small businesses have said, "Does it make any sense for us to support cash anymore?" Because mm. because what people don't realise, because the costs are largely invisible, is that actually handling cash is really expensive. Yeah, the security requirements space requirements the you know the infrastructure requirements you know, all of those things that actually the the handling charges you know all of those things make cash actually a much more expensive way to do business than credit debit whatever else it may be now yeah and so you know it's going to continue to decline um the people you know who were who felt very reliant on it are largely aging out there is still a big privacy argument about cash transactions yeah. which i have you know some sympathy for um, but ultimately, no, it's not coming back. It's, it won't get disappear altogether, but it will drop to about 5% of transactions, I suspect. And by that point, you'll be lucky to find a bank to to put, make your money transactions if you, you know, retail business anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Although, you know, I work with a lot of the banks and, and building societies, and they're all very conscious of the fact that part of their value, and they become more conscious of this in, conscious of this in the face of branch closures, part of their value is... That somebody with a blue suit and grey hair putting their arm around your shoulder uh, and giving you advice at difficult moments in life, like your first mortgage or sorting out your pension or whatever it may be. Um, And so I think we we will see a bit of a a rowback from them as well in terms of offering that personal service. Yeah, and that winds back to the first points we were making really about those personal relationships, that having that personal contact when you're going out and about your business, you've been able to talk to someone, so... Yes, it's an interesting, interesting area. So I suppose really looking forward, what would you say the three sort of big areas are that are going to impact on small businesses over the next five to 10 years out of all of the things that we've covered this afternoon? Crikey, there's so many places to look. I mean, I think, you know, in the next five to 10 years, what have you really got to be aware of? Number one is demographics. Like your audience is changing. You know, they're changing all the time in terms of their economic capability, but actually, who are they? Who are you selling to? Um, and be keep a really watchful eye on, for example, um, how the people in your local area are changing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I live in a, an area of Manchester where the demographics are changing incredibly rapidly. You only have to stand at the school gate and look at who the parents are in the top years and who the parents are in the younger years. Yeah. And you can see, you know, right in front of you how fast the, the nature of the local population is changing. Tailor your proposition to the audience. That's the first one. Yeah. The second one would absolutely be about technology. I think AI right now is probably where you need to have some understanding. Like I say, don't go throwing loads of capital about at, at it necessarily, but keep a watching brief. You know, challenge yourself. If you're not, if you're a bit of a technophobe, challenge yourself to play with the new technologies as they come into the software platforms you use daily and try to extract value from them because there's enormous value to be had. 
Um, and then the third one, no, the third one would just be at look a tip. And it's a tip I give all my clients. And it is spend 1% of your time focused on the future. I know it's really hard when you're in a small business, mm. but carve out one day every six months where you step back from the day to day and think about what's next and how it's going to affect you in a structured fashion. Think about the pressures that you're facing today, the things that are maybe already harming or limiting your business. Think, look at the trends that are coming in, in terms of new technologies, legislation, changes in demographics, whatever. And then think about where those two connect. You know, could this new technology overcome this challenge I'm having? Could this new population be an audience for a new product or service that's now possible that wasn't five years ago? And just carve out that time because so few people do. Yeah, that's a really good point there. I suppose it's it something that we always talk about when we're sort of giving advice on the donuts is that actually, you know, you should always be looking forward. You should always be keeping an eye on your business plan. Where, are you, where do you want to be and how are you going to get there? And what are the things that are going to stop you from getting there? What are the things that can help you get there? So, yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. Before you go, Tom, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online if they want to find out more about your books and your work? Um, yeah, I'm very easy to find because I was born with the brilliant name of Cheeserite. So if you just Google Tom Cheeserite, <laughs> even if you get the spelling wrong, I suspect, and it's easy to do, uh, you will find TomCheeserite.com. You'll find me on all the socials. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Tom. My pleasure. Wow. Well, it's safe to say that Tom's blown a bit of a hole in my tiny mind with all of that information. Sadly, there were no robot overlords, but the last half an hour has been packed with fantastic tips and advice. And the first thing that I'll be doing is listening again to make sure I haven't missed anything. Then I'll be popping Tom's book, Future Proof Your Business, on my reading list. If you'd like to find links to further sources of information on anything we've discussed here, or find links for Tom and his books, you'll find them in the show notes. All that remains is for me to thank Tom once again for a really informative and interesting chat and express our thanks to our sponsors, MediaHawk, who have made this episode possible. Until next time, take care. Hold up. 